to Post Game with Paul Golden, a sports and faith podcast. I'm your host, Tim Donnelly, and thank you for joining us. Today, our guest is retired Major League Baseball scout, Les Parker. Les served as a scout with the New York Yankees and New York Mets. Les's claim to fame is his connection to New York Mets superstar pitcher, Jacob DeGrom. And today, he'll tell you his experience of finding DeGrom. Les also shares several fascinating stories from his time with the Yankees, including his experience working for the boss, the legendary George Steinbrenner. Stay tuned to the very end to hear Les Parker give his spiritual advice for dads and more details on the baseball Bible. Now, here's your host of the post-game podcast, Paul Golden. Hey, it's a pleasure to have Les Parker, a good friend of mine and a retired baseball scout who lives in the Tampa, Florida area. And I want to welcome him to Post Game with Paul Golden. So, Les, welcome. Thanks a lot, Paul. I'm happy to be here. I think we first met in 2011 on a mission trip in uh, the Dominican Republic, and it was with SCORE International on a kind of a baseball mission trip. And by chance, God put us together as roommates. So that's how it all started. He always knows what he's doing, Paul. Absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed, I love baseball, love ministry, and uh, I love hearing some of your baseball stories. As a, a longtime scout uh, for the New York Mets and New York Yankees, you have some great stories. I want to start off with a big one, finding Jacob DeGrom. Tell us, you're the scout that kind of discovered uh, the New York Mets pitcher, a two-time Cy Young winner, I believe, and uh, kind of the star of the pitching staff there in New York. Tell us about the, the backstory of how in the world did you come across Jake DeGrom? Usually it's in scouting, it's being in the right spot at the right time. I was uh, going over to watch a, uh, a scout day. All the colleges, especially in Florida, have a scout day where they let their players uh, uh, perform. We run 50s and take batting practice, take a lot of infield. So you can uh, sort of get a head start on the scouting season. And uh, I went over to watch Stetson do their fall scout day, knowing that there probably wasn't a player there because I had them two years before. And I knew that they really didn't have anybody, what I would call at that time, interesting. But you never know about a junior college player transferring in, something like that. So we always go. And uh, we went through the, the whole process of about a two-hour scout day playing a little bit of an inter-squad game. And in the ninth inning, they put their shortstop, who I knew well, they put uh, Jacob DeGrom in, in the game as a pitcher. There were, I, I guess, out of maybe 25 scouts there, 30 scouts, there were about maybe 10 of us left. It was last pitcher of the day, last inning. That time of year, you know, you're trying to get back home to your family, you know, so we didn't have many people there. Not everybody was paying attention, including myself. But all of a sudden... I watched Jacob DeGrom warm up, and it's nice and easy, and I really like everything I see from him on the mound. And uh, he threw one inning. He, he, he hit 92, and I don't claim to be smart enough to know that he would throw 98 one day, but it was so nice and easy. Everything was there, just what you want to see. Right shoulders, narrow hips, easy. He didn't throw one pitch above the waist. It was uh, kind of awesome. Uh, that he could eat, they could spend the ball as well. So I called my supervisor and I said, uh, hey, Barney, I said, uh, found the player today. 
He says, I thought you were going to Stetson. And I said, well, uh, yeah, I did go to Stetson. And he says, well, who is it? I said, uh, Jacob DeGrom. He said, you told me DeGrom couldn't hit. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, I don't like him as a hitter, but boy, he sure can pitch. And uh, that was the start. Later, uh, before the start of the spring, uh, we had a change in staff. And our new scout lived very close to Stetson. Uh, my supervisor asked me if I would give up Stetson uh, so this guy could have some home games. And, of course, I did that. But I did that with a couple of caveats. And one was the new, the new scout, who really wasn't a new scout. He was a, he was a veteran scout, so I knew there wouldn't be a problem. Great scout, by the way. Uh, and Bumpy uh, always did a great job. And uh, so I knew that he would take care of things. But I said, he has to see him twice. And Barney, no matter what he says, you got to go in and see this guy. Because I knew, I knew at that time exactly what the Mets were looking for, how, what, how we valued prospects, how we valued pitching models. He fit the model perfectly. What year was that, Les? 2010, 9. That sounds about right. I guess to me, the amazing thing is he was a shortstop and they basically threw him in as relief, kind of as a, not last resort, but that he wasn't in the bullpen. No, he wasn't. And they didn't use him much beginning of the season. And later on, he actually started a couple of games at the end of the year. But that all that went into our favor because there was only a couple of teams that were in on him. One of them was the Giants. Uh, the Giants were in on him. I don't think anybody thought we would take him as early as we did, although today it seems like we took him late. I can't remember. I think it was sixth round. Fortunately, we were able to get him and the rest is history. That's for sure. A little bit of luck makes me look good, but I'll take a kudos once in a while. That's great. That's a great story. And I know just hanging around you a little bit, watching some high school players, you always talk about projectability, which is a a big word, but you really got to have the foresight, I guess, and a lot of luck to kind of project what the player could be five, six, seven years from now. So that's neat to see that come, come to fruition with Jacob DeGrom. Well, it did. But I will say I've been wrong a lot more than I've been right. So, <laughs> Tell us about uh, the one time you had Hal Steinbrenner as your intern. I don't know if you exactly caught it an intern or not, but uh, between his junior and senior years in college, he came on to, to work in Tampa for a summer. So he was sort of uh, put under my wing a little bit. We had some good times together. He was a great guy, hardworking guy. It's funny, he really didn't take it serious at that time. Of course, he's a junior in college. He uh, doesn't know really what he wants to do yet. He doesn't realize the possibilities uh, that he was going to have. He was uh, he wasn't, uh, wasn't going to know about it. So uh, it's interesting to see now how he's so into it and he does such a great job. I'm really excited uh, for the Yankees. I love the Yankees. Uh, we're, I still do some some little work for the Mets, although uh, with this COVID thing, I'm not doing anything now. Uh, it was an interesting summer. I hope he has as many fond memories about it as I do. Well, you trained him well, Les. Another person you mentioned is uh, your connection to Brian Cashman. Tell us about that job swap. Uh, Brian Cashman came down to the Yankee uh, minor league complex when we, when we opened. I think, I, I actually, I think he came a little bit after we opened. In 1988, we moved, the Yankees moved their, their farm system to Tampa. And it, actually, that's when I started. Uh, it was an opportunity to work for the Yankees. Uh, 
in my own hometown and, and with very little travel. And at that time I had three young daughters and uh, I wasn't interested in travel. So it was a great opportunity for me. And uh, Brian came down right after that and we worked, we worked hand in hand sort of. And then uh, he, he had a job as director. He was assistant director of uh, minor league operations. And uh, I, I was uh, sort of uh, the right-hand man for uh, George Bradley, who was one of the vice presidents of the Yankees and later became a general manager for the Yankees. So we actually switched jobs. He went on to greater things and I went on to scout. So a wonderful experience working with Brian. He's a class individual. You mentioned the move from Fort Lauderdale up to the Tampa area. That was about 26 years ago. Is that right? That's about right. It's been that long. We, we opened in Tampa in uh, 1996. And uh, it was a year we won the World Series, Jeter's rookie year. A lot of things happened that year. It was a, a great time. And um, again, uh, just a lot of wonderful memories with the Yankees during that time. You shared with me over the years some crazy and funny Steinbrenner stories. Tell us about the time uh, when the, it was getting ready to open the park of Legends Field, now called Steinbrenner Field, and uh, what took place on the warning track and then what transpired afterwards. As everyone knows, the boss was uh, demanding and uh, often uh, he was correct. But uh, there were times when, uh, when he was, uh, let's just say he didn't see the whole picture at the time. It was the second day after opening day of Steinbrenner Stadium, which at that time was Legends Field. It was a windy April day. I was in his office. He was, uh, let's say he was dressing me down just a little bit for something else the day before. And a piece of paper blew out on the field and on the warning track. And one of the one of the grounds crew guys came around on a cart and he reached over to get the paper and the wind was swirling and it blew the paper away. Well, George threw a fit. He told me that I had to fire that groundskeeper. And basically, I tried to explain to him that the groundskeepers had been working 16 hours days for about the last seven weeks to get the stadium open and everything was perfect. Yet this guy had a family and I wasn't going to fire him. Well, he promptly told me that uh, either you fire him or you're fired. And if uh, Joe Malloy, who was my boss, and his son-in-law didn't like it, he was fired. I just said, okay. So uh, I left it at that. And the next day he called me in and I sort of put in my resignation because we were, we were not on the same page at that time. Let's just say that. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting story. And like I said, the legendary boss stories, I'm sure, could be shared by uh, many alike. You mentioned uh, Brian Cashman before him was a legendary uh, former Yankee player, former manager, and the general manager, Gene Michael. And uh, I know you have a good friendship with him before he passed away. You told me a story about early on uh, how you kind of, in my, in my view, kept the core four intact. Tell us about that trade potential that you and Gene Michael talked about. People ask me who is always, they I always ask me who is my most influential sign. I really haven't signed that many players. Uh, I worked in pro scouting for a long time. And uh, when I was with the Yankees, I did some scouting, but I didn't do any, any, any uh, I did mostly pro scouting, covering spring training, things like that. And uh, Gene Michael taught me how to scout. I mean, uh, I used to spend time with him in Fort Lauderdale there was any other games or afternoon things or any evening thing, we, he always took me with him. I'm not sure, except that we both shared 
an interest, great interest in the game. I had played minor league baseball and he respected that. And obviously I respected it was Gene Michael. And uh, it, was a, it was a little incident that, that we had a meeting with a bunch of scouts and I happened to be in the meeting and everybody went around and made an opinion on a player and everybody said, no, don't get him. And he got around and he asked me, which surprised me. I really wasn't scouting at the time. But he, he, he asked me in front of everybody else. And uh, he had already said that he wasn't going to sign this guy. And I said, well, I said, I would sign him. So he said, why? I said, first of all, Bo Jackson would look wonderful in a Yankee uniform. He would sell more tickets. This is when we weren't very good, by the way. I said, he would sell more tickets the first day than it would take to sign him right now. I said, and, and Bo Jackson is 70%. Is better than most, almost every player at a hundred percent. He says, "Les, I like your thinking, but we're not going to sign him." So he didn't change his mind, but he always respected me for making saying my opinion. So Stick always took me to games with him, and we always. Well, one year he calls me. I'm in my office in Tampa, and he calls me. He says, "Les," he said, "I'm having a little conflict with, with the minor league office about." what player we can trade. He says, I've got a trade, but we're making and and I can't seem to get a clear list. He says, I'm going to trade one of these three players. He says, I want you to tell me who you would trade. First name, he says, uh, Andy Pettit. I says, no, George, you, you can't, you can't trade Andy Pettit. He said, why? Well, he's going to be a third or fourth starter in the big leagues for a long time. He's got everything it takes, including what I would just call guts. You know, he's that kind of guy. I said, he's a great kid. Uh, he's going to be around a long time. So he said, uh, okay, how about uh, George Posada? No, you can't trade George Posada. But this was my opinion now, not everybody else's. So I'm not speaking for anybody else. I said, you can't trade him. He said, why? I said, because he can hit. Guy can hit. I said, he needs a lot of work with his skills behind the plate for me. I said, but I think he's going to get those because he's a hard worker. He's a convert from the infield. And, uh, He's another great person. Those character guys mean something. And we had a lot of them on that team. This is before the fact, though. But we had a lot of them on that team later on, which carried us. The Bernie Williams, the Gerald Williams, the Tino Martinez's. Those are just the the Derek Jeters. Those are quality, quality guys. And I said, we can't trade them. And he said, how about about Jason Robertson? That's the guy I would trade. He said, why? I said, well, let me first say that Jason Robertson is my favorite player in the minor leagues. He said, why is that? I said, because he is just a tremendous person. He's a triple A or what I call a four A player. He doesn't run well enough to play center field. Although he's a good center fielder, he doesn't hit with enough power to think he's be an extra outfielder that he could add something because he can't throw, so he can't play right or left. He can't throw. So as much as I like Jason Robertson, he was the guy that I picked. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> because I would hate to ever think that I would have traded away one of those guys. You kept the core four intact? Well, I won't say that I did that, but I did tell Stick that, and then and the next day he traded Jason Robertson away, so. I'm sure he got other sources besides mine. 
We're here with Les Parker, a retired baseball scout. And obviously this podcast is about sports and faith. Tell us less about your faith journey, how you came to faith in Christ. Well, I, I really always thank my grandmother, first of all, because uh, no matter what happened, we went to church on Sunday. I mean, that was part of my life growing up. We always went to church. Uh, there was, uh, we were faithful. She was faithful. And uh, that was a big part of my life early on. And it remained a big part of my life. I committed myself to Christ at a young age. And uh, I won't say that I've always done exactly what I should do, uh, but I think our walk, our walk with Jesus is one that is all ours. And sometimes we uh, are off the path and sometimes we are on the path. And thank God, I thank God every day for my grandmother that she gave me the basics so that as I grew older and more understanding and understood uh, what God wanted and what Jesus wanted from me, that I am doing more and more of those things. And not to say uh, anybody is uh, any better than anybody else. We know that we're all sinners. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Amen. When I first met you, what impressed me as our, we roomed together there on that mission trip, you had a button that you wore, I think, faithfully every day. It was a white button with three letters, three initials on it. R-U-U. And then E, and the, the E was red. Can you tell us the significance, uh, the story behind that, that R-U-E button? It is an interesting story. Um, my cousin and I were very close. He was a couple of years younger than me. We were both having some health issues about, oh, it's been about 12 years ago now. And uh, we uh, were talking and we had lunch maybe once a month or so. And we were talking at lunch and he says, you know, Les, I'm ready to go if the Lord takes me. And I said, oh, you're going to be fine. I says, I'm ready. I'm ready, too. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to get through this. So as it turns out, he didn't get through it. A couple months later, he, cancer took him. And uh, I lost I lost my one of the only friends that I could really, really talk to because he knew my whole family situation, everything, you know, because we were cousins and uh, we were close. So it was very difficult. But I, I did a eulogy at his funeral. And after the at the end of the eulogy, I said, Mark was ready. And I told the story. I said, Mark, Mark was ready. I said, are you ready? And then later on, I, I get home and I, a couple of nights later, I don't remember exactly how long, I wake up in the middle of the night and I have this button and it's black R, black U, and a big red E. And it was R-U, red E. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make buttons. I'll wear buttons. So I called the button company. Made, long story short, I had it made up and everything. And as I'm paying for the buttons, this lady says to me, she says, Mr. Parker, she says, what does that button mean? And I said, well, it simply means that if Jesus comes tomorrow, are you ready? And it was like the Lord put this lady there to make me understand what I had to do. I had to be ready to talk about it because she said to me, she said, Oh my God, I'm not. That's what she said to me. Mm. And really, I wasn't ready to, to really say what I needed to say to her. And so after that, it was the Lord saying, Hey, if you're going to wear this button, you better be ready to, to talk about it. So I do. I, re I wear the button almost every day. It's rarely, I don't have that button on. And uh, I've given away 
probably 10,000 of those buttons in the last 12 years. Well, I have one. I still have that. And that's an inspiration to me to be ready to share my faith, but also to think creatively like you have to what are some ways that we can engage people. To me, you are well-respected in the scouting community. The times I've been with you, all the scouts are obviously respect you. And um, I know you're well-respected in your community and kind of a local legend there growing up and a great athlete coming out of the Tampa Bay area. But what what advice would you give to the dad or the kid out there, teenager, middle school student about trying to make it, you know, fulfill their lifelong dream of playing professional baseball? What, what advice would you give? I think that's a real easy question because to me, the answer to that is have fun. Just have fun. I think the, in today's world, parents take it too seriously. Travel teams are way, way too costly. And uh, I think that if we stress more of, hey, have fun. Neighborhood baseball was great. Neighborhood little leagues, things like that. Youth leagues growing up. The, the experiences there are wonderful. You meet a variety of people instead of uh, these travel games. And, and I know after you get a little older, the travel teams uh, are important. You know, they really are. Uh, I'd say after maybe 15 or 16. But until then... I would just say, hey, have fun. If you're a good player, we're going to find you. You know, that's our job. We're going to find the good players. They don't sneak by uh, anymore, especially, but we're going to find them. So if you're a good player, you're going to get you're going to get seen and you're going to get a chance. Simple as that. It's great to aspire to be a major league player. And in actuality, the odds are very much against every single kid that plays. Truth of the matter. But uh, that doesn't mean it can't be done. I don't want to take away, ever take away the fact that, hey, I'm, this is what I'm going to do because somebody's going to do it. Why can't it be you? But on the road, have fun, have some fun. That's great advice. What, what advice would you give spiritually to the, the father out there who's trying to be a good dad or the, the teen or the college age student that, you know, what, what, what are some life lessons or principles that you could pass on to us today? The most important thing is, is, I'm in a church. I'm in a local church that you, that you can go to. You need to go to church to be able to share with each other. And he, he made us to be, to be uh, friendly and have friends and uh, communicate and share. And we, we, we all know that uh, uh, there's strength in numbers. And uh, rather than have somebody tell us what's not good, it's a lot better to have somebody tell us what is good. So, to me, number one is church. Number two, um, for an older kid, say older, anybody that can start reading, I would suggest that every day uh, you read Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs have 31 chapters, 31 days in most months. But if you just correlate that, chapter one, day one, chapter two, day two, and so forth, uh, and Proverbs will tell you how to live. And if you're a new Christian or if you don't understand what Christianity really means, that gives you a basis of what you need to do, what, how to follow, you know, how to be a good person, it tells you. And then uh, the, the next thing after that was, is read, read, read John in the Bible. You'll get your answers. That's good. I know you're active in Bible studies with men. I know we've been on some mission trips together, just serving and giving back. One thing I want to highlight to our listeners, tell us about your baseball Bible project. Well, as you know, my wife and I did a bicycle program 
where we uh, distributed bicycles at Christmas to uh, disadvantaged children. And we did that for 15 years. When we finished, we were doing about 250 bicycles every year. And uh, that was a wonderful experience for both of us that we were able to, in some small way, let people know that Jesus cared about them. And uh, what we did is we, we gave them the bicycle and then we gave them a Christmas card. And uh, that was it. And then um, uh, I got a call from uh, a friend of mine who played minor league baseball and uh, he had this idea of a baseball Bible, different baseball people giving quotes in the Bible. And so he asked me about helping him. He wanted me to become the executive director. I said, well, I don't really want a title. Let's not do that. Uh, but let's see how we can help. Let's see how we can make some, something go forward. So we, I, I called a lot of my baseball friends in. Uh, they're Christians. Uh, some ex-major league players, some coaches. We came. I, my original idea was lousy, by the way. And somebody said, you know, why don't you do a banquet? And I thought about it, and I thought, well, we can do that, and we have time to do that. So we uh, we put on a baseball banquet. But one of the things I told my friend, I said, look, at that time when he first came, he said, they were selling baseball Bibles at cost, but they were selling them. So we don't want to sell Bibles. We want to give Bibles. So we need to raise money to buy Bibles in order to give them to people. So that's what we went. That's what we started out ready to do. And we had a we had a dinner last year. It was a great experience. We raised enough money for seven thousand Bibles. I think we still have some, a few left. Uh, some of the people that we give Bibles to are not able to meet in the Dominican and things like that. So, because uh, we get, we do both Spanish and English Bibles, but that's been a real blessing in my life to know that I'm helping distribute Bibles uh, because of people like Pete Alonzo, who helped us tremendously. He signed a lot of items for us. A lot of other major league players. We were so appreciative of those guys. They helped us out with signing stuff at a time when when they could be making money off their signature because they're uh, both of them were Rookie of the Year and uh, people, while well, everybody wanted a piece of them, and they, they uh, stepped forward and helped us. So that, that in itself, that's a blessing. It's neat less to see your connections, leveraging your network of influencers in the, the game of baseball to really help get the Bible out. If someone wanted more information on the baseball Bible, does do they have a website or what's the best way to go about getting in touch? They do have a website, baseballbible.org. Excellent. So someone wants to order some or make a donation, that's a place to go. Absolutely. If somebody knows of an organization that is in need of Bibles, that really needs it, we would be happy to, to get those Bibles out. To them. Hey, as we wrap up the podcast, do you have any final thoughts or comments, Les, you want to share with our listeners? No, I, I appreciate you having me. I, I never feel like I'm important enough to do anything like this. You know, I'm just one of the, the little guys. Uh, the Lord has used me. And uh, I appreciate it. I, I'm very thankful for the gifts that he gave me because without the gift of being able to do sports and play sports, I would have never been able to be on the road that I was on the path. So I'm very grateful for that. It's all him. It's not, not me. And I'm very grateful for what he's done for me. Well, Les, we're thankful for your example of how you can meld sports and faith together and 
make a living out of it like you have, but also use that platform to, uh, to impact others for Christ. So Les Parker, thank you so much. It's been great catching up. I know there's a lot more stories about the Yankees and Mets and uh, life as a baseball scout, but uh, that's for another time. But thank you so much, Les, for joining us. Take care. You too. Thanks, Les. God bless you, Paul. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with retired Major League Baseball scout Les Parker. If you liked this episode, we'd ask that you subscribe to the Post Game with Paul Golden podcast. This way, you'll be sure to never miss all of our upcoming episodes. Also, forward this podcast to those Yankees or Mets fans in your life and that dad you know who would enjoy hearing the sports insight and spiritual advice from Les Parker. I'm your host, Tim Donnelly. Thank you so much for joining us for Post Game with Paul Golden. Yeah.